passage today is James chapter 4, 1 to 12. That's on page 840, wait, 846. Um, cool. James chapter 4, 1 to 12. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. This is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your heart, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment of it on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, anyway, I was saying um, thank you, Gabriel, for reading the passage for us, and also um, thank you, uh, Leo, for leading us to worship and for leading us in prayer. I think it's important that we pray together, um, even though uh, we're not used to having longer prayers uh, when we meet for worship on Sunday, but I think uh, it'd be good if we can do that um, even if it's not every Sunday, but from time to time, it would be good to do that. Um, yes, let's switch on now. <laughs> yeah, so, um, well, it's interesting how you think uh, you have done what you need to do, and uh, sometimes it's interesting how we think we have not done what we're not supposed to do. <laughs> and so that is the question today. James asked that question, chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So a lot of times we think, well, it's not my problem. It's always someone else's problem. And so um, at least we would try to define problems as interpersonal relationship problems. Because these fights and quarrels, well, I... I don't fight with myself usually, I don't quarrel with myself usually. So when there is a fight and a quarrel, then there must be someone else involved. And so that someone else caused the problem. Or at least it's just international, um, well, interpersonal problems, right? problems between the people. But James said, they come from your desires that battle within you. So James is saying, they're not really interpersonal problems. They are intrapersonal problems. There are problems because there's a battle within you.
like we were saying earlier on, James is a very organized writer. The chapters that we sort of divide up, he did not divide his letter into chapters. His letter was a very coherent, very knitted together. And so he was actually not just talking about quarrels and fights today, but he's talking about what's inside, whether we practice what we preach, whether we practice what we believe in, or whether we practice what we say we believe in. You know what is our owl? Our owl could be Rolls Royce, someone told me that. <laughs> but our owl could also be road rage. Does that look like you? The one up there. Well, I know you don't look like the one down there. What is road rage? The road rage is aggressive or angry behavior exhibited by a driver of a road vehicle. These behaviors include rude and offensive gestures, verbal insults, physical threats or dangerous driving methods targeted towards another driver or non-drivers such as pedestrians or cyclists in an effort to intimidate or release frustration. That's a definition of road rage. That's pretty long. And um, June 2019, Sydney Morning Herald has this one. Sit, uh, um, not just Sydney, Australian drivers are a cocky lot. Almost all of them rate themselves as safe roads users, and the majority say they're great behind the wheel. But at the same time, they're also quick to point the finger at others, with 89% admitting that they let other drivers' annoying habits get them hot under the collar. And some more interesting statistics come on out of that, targeting millennials, you know who are the millennials. They say, the millennials have the biggest driving egos. The 72% of them rating themselves skilled drivers. But despite this, the millennials and the Generation Y, they were voted the most annoying drivers on the road. Well, it doesn't matter whether you agree or not, that's in the papers. (laughs) But of course, we all know that screaming kids, they say arguments with partners and backseat drivers, they are also found to be a source of stress. And then it says, men are more likely to get into road rage. 24% of men versus 16% of women. <laughs> they get into road rage. Well, men, ask yourselves why. And finally, it says, ironically, Three quarters of all drivers also admitted that they had committed the very same road sins that caused them to lose their cool. So what I'm trying to say is, we always point a finger at others, 
But when road rage happens, it's something inside you. Despite that we always commit the same mistakes, even describes it here, the same road sins that others do that cause you to become angry. Isn't it always easier to think it's someone else's fault? So we want to believe that I'm okay, you're not okay. So it's your problem and it has nothing to do with me. Or the other phrase that we like is, I'm okay, you're okay. When I'm okay, you're okay, so neither of us has a problem. And it's just a personality clash. Your personality is okay, my personality is okay. There is nothing we need to change. We're just But then, where do these quarrels and fights really come from? James said, they're all inside you. They're all inside you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? We like to think that none of us needs to examine ourselves. None of us needs to change. So we're all safe. We're all happy. The contemporary English version translates this, chapter 4, verse 1. Why do you fight and argue with each other? Isn't it because you're full of selfish desires that fight to control your body? These desires are inside you. And this actually brings us back to the previous passage in chapter 3 and you would see the link the connection between the different chapters the the connection within the whole book that we call the letter of James let's go back to chapter 3 I'd like to read this together with you so that you really see the connection between chapter 3 and chapter 4 chapter 3 verse 14 but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So where do all the fights and quarrels and wars and battles of this world come from? They all come from inside. When you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. The word desire could be a neutral term, but James actually uses it to, to show that these are selfish desires, selfish cravings. Selfish ambition. If you go back to verse 2 in verse, uh, chapter 4, James said, You desire but you do not have. So what do you do? You kill. Right? You covet but you cannot get what you want. So what do you do? You quarrel and you fight. Covet is a word that has a negative connotation. It indicates a certain degree of greed inside you. Because of that greed, because of the selfish ambition, you not only quarrel, 
you actually use your fists and you engage in a physical fight. Not only would you fight with words, not only would you fight with your fists, you actually kill to get what you want. We thought these things would only happen in movies and TV dramas, but no, no, these are real life. It's real life, even in the early church in the days of James. And that is why James actually wrote this letter to the Christians in his church. And so what about us? 21st century. I think human nature hasn't changed. But human nature has changed too. Human, change, human nature continues to change because of Jesus Christ. All these talk about quarrels, fights and killings. Remember if we go back to chapter 3, they're all there. They're all there. But Jesus came and he changed us. And he wanted us to face ourselves, he wanted us to actually look into the mirror. Remember James chapter 1 talks about the mirror. The Bible is like the mirror and we see ourselves in the mirror. We see ourselves in the Bible. But sometimes when we read the Bible, we only want to understand the Word of God. We only want to understand the will of God. But in fact, when we are honest with ourselves when we read the Bible we look into the mirror we see ourselves and we see how we should change and how we should keep changing and how we have already changed and so we all know now what is the answer to that question what causes fights and quarrels among you it's your desires that battle within you and that is why we need Jesus. Because now we really understand that the real issue is inside you. It's not always someone else's problems. It's not just interpersonal clash, personality clash, where you try to find excuses to say, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay, we're just different. It's not just that, of course we are different. Of course there are personality clashes. But at the same time, we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to admit that something's wrong inside me. And the real issue is me. The real issue is inside me. And in fact, that is what Paul says too in Romans chapter 7. I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's word, but I see another law at work in me. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So Paul actually has the same kinds of experience. And he's so in such a vivid and picturesque way describes to us the inner struggles, our internal battles. These selfish desires and cravings that James was describing to us, they want to control you from within you. And they fight you. And they fight the Holy Spirit 
that is living within you. Surely there is evil out there, a lot of it. But the evil is also there inside each one of us. And we have to admit that. So Paul describes the sinful man or the sinful nature or the, or the, uh, the old self right, that are, uh, are very uh, um, different terms that we use to describe what goes on in ourselves. Why? Because the devil has planted those evil and selfish desires inside your heart. While we should all be directed or even controlled by Jesus Christ because he is your Lord, he is your master, but the sinful self inside you wants to grab the rain from the hands of Jesus Christ so that these evil desires can be controlling because the devil wants to control you. Alright, so we have to admit that this is true, this is real, this is real. But having realized that, we also know that there is hope because of Jesus Christ. These evil and selfish desires and ambitions, they're all inside us. So what do we do about it? We know that we are on victory's side. Because while these evil and sinful desires and nature are all within us, we also know that Christ is in you. And that makes the whole difference. And when we say Christ is in you, it's not just that I have received Jesus as my Savior, so my sins are forgiven, and so I have um, sort of uh, got my passport to heaven when I die. Right? It's not just that. So we really have to understand what it means to say that Jesus Christ is within you. Jesus Christ is in you so that you actually live a genuine Christian life. When we say Christ is in you, first of all, it's because we're all made in the image of God. So when God created each one of us, even as God created Adam and Eve, we were all made in the image of God. And then when we became a Christian, when we were redeemed by Jesus Christ, He actually lives in our lives. And when He actually lives in our lives, the most original you, which is the image of God, the, 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 the most real you, the most through you comes back because of Jesus Christ living in you. So Jesus Christ is not someone like, uh, um, well, he's out there, he sits on the throne of grace somewhere out there, and so when I believe him, I believe what he says, of course we believe in what he says, but it's not just that. He lives in you. And so when he lives in you, I want to share with you what James is writing about. There are four steps to authentic and genuine Christian life. You know, there's, uh, the different words that uh, um, writers of the Bible use, for example, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
that's the, one of the ways to describe how we become Christ-like, right? imitating right, your outward behavior and your inner feelings and so on. Right? We imitate Christ. But there is another way to describe that, not just imitating, because the word imitating in our modern day use gives us the uh, connotation that um, outwardly we try to imitate someone. But of course imitation is not just outward, imitation is also inside, what is inside you. But James teaches us these four steps so that we can once again become authentic and genuine. Remember when we first started to study this book of James, we were saying that we want to become authentic Christians. And the whole theme for EFC this year is that we want to be authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. And so James is teaching us how to be authentic, how, how to be genuine, how to be consistent in what we say and what we do, what we believe in and how we live. And he said the first thing that we should do is submit ourselves to God. Submission right, is something that the Bible talks about a lot. Paul also talks about submission. Submit to God. It means that He is really your God, He is really your Lord, He is really your Master, and He takes control of the wheel. If you're a car, He takes control of the wheel. Let Him be the driver, let Him be the navigator. Some people say you abdicate the throne and let him sit on your throne of life. So you're not just submitting to something outside, you're not just submitting to some principles of life, you're not just submitting yourselves to some lessons that you learn, but you're submitting to a God who actually lives inside you, who actually lives in you. Because our God is not a God who is far away somewhere out there, He is the one who created you in his own image and likeness. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the image and the likeness of God can be recovered in you when you were redeemed by Jesus Christ, when Jesus takes control of your life. So that is what we mean by submitting to God. Let him be the navigator and the driver. And so we become the passenger. The second thing, resist the devil. When you declare that Jesus is your Lord and Master, that that he takes the wheel, you're also declaring to the devil that you don't have control over me anymore because Jesus has control. In Jesus' name, we tell the devil you don't have control over me anymore. So whenever we face a temptation, we can actually pause and say it out loud as if the devil is right there in front of you. You don't have control over me anymore, you devil. 
because Jesus Christ has control of my life. And we can actually command the devil to leave and leave you alone. Now, if you have not tried that, I actually have tried that and I've actually got people, other Christians telling me, when you face a temptation, on top of praying to Jesus Christ for his help so that you would not fall into the temptation, so that you would not fall into sin, you can actually command the devil to leave you and leave you alone. And that is one of the most powerful ways to resist the temptation. Because James said, resist the devil. Tell him that you belong to Jesus now. And you devil, you have no power over me anymore. That's what James said. And number three, stay close to God. Stay near to God. And of course, we all understand that to do that, you have to spend time with God. And not just time, we, we talk about the quality time. Parents want to have quality time with the kids, right? When you are in a relationship, you want to have quality time together. Quality time by yourself, reading his word, praying to him. Quality time with the church, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, worshipping him, praying to him, singing praises to him, enjoy being with him. I don't know how you understand worship on Sunday. We all know that it's not just um, uh, singing a few songs. We all know that it's not just uh, listening to the chairman praying and sometimes I, I, I drift along, sometimes I would uh, daydream and then I'll come back after 30 seconds and um, well, when he says amen, that's the sign that I should wake up. <laughs> you know, when I first came to EFC, I find something very interesting especially when I was in the Cantonese service. You know, they say Amen so loudly. <laughs> I was really impressed, you know, I was really impressed that they say Amen so loudly after the prayer. And usually it's the pastors who pray, right? And um, so they, they actually say Amen. I have been to many churches, you know, including my previous churches. I have never ever had the congregation say Amen so loudly. Maybe that's something we all should try to learn. Well, of course I know that sometimes the, 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 uh, the pastor or the chairman was praying and so we were praying along, that sort of thing. And um, we don't want to say Amen so loudly right, because um, uh, uh, we pray in our heart, right? so we say Amen in our heart. <laughs> Later on, I'm going to lead us to pray. <laughs> and I want you to say Amen loudly. But stay close to God. Whatever worship you think is, whatever reading the Bible, doing your daily devotions is, it's all being with God. It's all enjoying being with God. Not just being with God, but enjoying being with God. That's the important word. You can be with God, but you, at the same time, you're not with God. Right? 
But I want you to really think when you're with God, you're really with God. And you're not just being with God, but you enjoy being with God. If we do a little survey, how many people enjoy coming to Sunday worship? <laughs> no one. No one enjoys it. Well, of course, I know you enjoy part of it, right? and then uh, one Sunday you enjoy more, or right? another Sunday you may, may not enjoy too much, right? Because you still uh, well haven't really woke up, right? You're still sleepy. You know? Sometimes that happens. But, but at least you're worshiping at 11 o'clock. <laughs> and you tell me you, you still want to go to bed? Right? You know the Cantonese service, the Mandarin service, they meet at 9. Right? So what we want is enjoy being with God. Whether, whether it's by yourself or together with the rest of the church. Enjoy being with God. Stay close to God. Stay near to God. Because God actually promised us that if we draw near to Him, He would definitely draw near to us. Well, of course, God is always near to us. God is always close to us. But the thing is, we run away from Him. You know that most of the time, it's we running away from Him. He never runs away from you. Every time when you feel that you have a distance from God. Every time you feel that you're becoming more and more distant from Him, you are the one who runs away from Him. And so James said, stay near. Stay near. How near can He be? Very near. He lives inside. Right? He lives in your life. So He is very near. And then number four, purify your heart. Ask God to cleanse you and give you a holy and pure heart. Be holy because your Father is holy. That's what the Bible says. So basically these are four principles you can say. These are four steps you could say. Right? Four things you could do. But you know when, when we preach... We always feel that, um, well, we're sort of teaching something, teaching some principles of life, teaching some action steps, and then uh, we leave you and you go home and you try to practice it. That is an important way to grow our lives, to uh, become an authentic Christian. But today, apart from teaching you these four steps that James has been teaching us, I want to lead you through a prayer. I want you to go through this prayer because um, it's one of the most powerful ways to practice what we have learned. And we, if we want to become an authentic and genuine Christian, this kind of prayer is one of the most powerful ways to help you to go through these four steps, to actually submit to God, to actually get close to God. So when I pray, I would want you to actually follow very closely in your heart. Um, so 
There are different ways of doing that. One way is you actually say Amen throughout the prayer, right? So when I, when I pray uh, um, at different intervals, you actually say Amen to that. You can say it in your heart, or you can even just say it softly, right? But say Amen or say Yes, Lord. I, I know you have uh, said these kinds of prayers, and I, you would have uh, um, heard others pray like that, right? So not just at the end of the prayer, but during the prayer, say Amen, say Yes, Lord, to say, Yes, Lord, this is my prayer too. So when I pray, I want this prayer to become your prayer. So you're not just listening to a prayer. And when you pray this today, I would want to invite you to pray a very similar prayer every day. It doesn't have to be same wordings, but um, uh, the same idea, the same concept should be there. Every day, say a similar prayer. So today, I'm not going to give you the reflection questions, but I'm going to give you this prayer. Right? Say this prayer every day, every day. And the purpose of this prayer is really to open our heart and our minds to God, to say to Him, Lord, You are really, indeed, my Master and my Lord. Come and fill me. Continue to dwell in me, so that my thoughts will be full of You, so that You would have control of my thoughts, so that there is no space for other kinds of, spot, of, 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 of thoughts. And Lord, come and fill my heart, so that my heart would be full of You, so there is no more space for any evil or selfish ambition, but you and you alone. This is the prayer that I want to lead you through. And apart from that, um, one of the things that we practice in this kind of meditative prayer is to follow your breathing. Right? I have taught similar things before. When you breathe in, take a deep breath slowly, Right? When you first start, count from one to five. After a few times, when you breathe in, say a simple prayer. A prayer which is similar to what I have just said. Lord, come in and continue to fill me. And slowly breathe in and at the same time say that as a prayer. And we, when you have breathed in, try to... Um, uh, uh, let the air fill your lungs so fully that your lungs are fully expanded and you hold your breath for a few seconds. And it, it's like symbolizing that the life of Jesus Christ fills your whole person and your whole being. Even to the innermost parts of your lungs, the air goes right through. And so in very small parts of your life, where you are used to closing them to God, allow the life of Jesus Christ to come into the innermost parts of your life. Hold your breath for a few seconds. Let God fill you. And then breathe out. When you breathe out slowly, say a prayer like, Lord, take away all of my evil thoughts and selfishness. I surrender them to you. Take them all away and cleanse my heart. 
So that is the kind of prayer that I would invite you to pray every day. We, we used to um, saying prayers with a lot of uh, clever words, but of course we know that we don't have to. Alright, so um, just for a few minutes, I want to lead you through this kind of prayer. Right? Just uh, um, uh, uh, slowly and uh, uh, open your hearts and pray sincerely. Alright, so sit up and we'll pray. Lord God, my Savior Jesus Christ, I open my heart and my mind to you. Yes, Lord, come in. May your Holy Spirit come and continue to dwell in me and fill me to the full so that my thoughts will be full of you, so that you would have total control of my thoughts. Take the rein, Lord Jesus. Take the wheel, Holy Spirit. Fill my heart also, Lord Jesus. Fill my heart so that there will be no more space for any evil and selfish ambitions. Fill my heart, Lord. Fill my life, Lord. And so while in this silence, breathe in slowly, count from one to five, so that you will concentrate on the counting and, and focus on your breathing. Breathe in slowly, and then hold your breath and try to let the air fill the innermost parts of your lungs. When you hold your breath, count from one to five. And then when you breathe out, breathe out slowly and count again from one to five. Repeat that a few times so that you would focus on the breathing and the counting. And that helps you to focus your mind. <clears throat> As we continue to pray, breathe in and pray, Lord Jesus, come and fill me. Lord Jesus, fill my heart, fill my mind. And then when you hold your breath for those few seconds, experience how the air fills your lungs and think of that symbol that the love and power of the Spirit of Christ touches the innermost parts of your heart and your mind. And pray to God, take control of me. Take control of the innermost being. And when you breathe out, slowly pray, Purify my heart and my mind, Lord. All my selfish thoughts and evil desires and all that's unclean in me, take them away. Take them away. I surrender all to you. So try to repeat that a few times. Slowly breathe in. Hold your breath. Slowly breathe out.
Let us pray together. Holy Father, thank you. Because you are a holy Father, you want us to be holy too. We want to be holy like you, my dear Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, for all of my sins. I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord, be my Master. And I pray this, Lord, not just to say a prayer, but I truly mean it, Lord. I truly mean it. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my thoughts, my feelings to you. I surrender my heart and my head and my mind to you. Lord, continue, come and fill me every day. And Holy Spirit, I submit to you. Shine on me so that I know where I need to be changed. Shine on me so that I would have the power and the strength to change. The will to change comes from you, Holy Spirit. Change me. The power to change comes from you, Holy Spirit. Change me. I surrender to you. Take away all of my sins, all my transgressions, all the evil thoughts, everything evil in me, Lord. Take them away. Take them away, Lord. Take them away, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Very good. You said it loudly. And like I said, well, do try, because it takes practice to do this kind of prayer every day. And I can testify to you that uh, when, I uh, when I practiced it, it changed my life. And I hope that this would change your life too. Thank you.